0: bird lays an egg that can support the weight of a
1: 240-pound person. Oh, geez. (laughs) And what dark secret did American patriot Patrick Henry hide beneath the floor of his colonial house?
0: Yeah, he didn't live in a ranch house.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Answers to those and other questions in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, Marcia, this is our 20th trivia show during the coronavirus, so this is a big milestone. It's okay. been fun.
0: Let's go out to
1: eat. It's too bad you have to leave. Oh no, no, it's been fun. <laughs> Let's go out to eat. You mean we're going to celebrate now? Yeah. yeah. At a, a little, patio restaurant yeah, somewhere, right?
0: Absolutely. A little wine, a little cheese or
1: <laughs> So you've got a question about a bird that has what how big is the egg? Go well, ahead. Well, and... I
0: didn't say that. I just said the strongest egg in the world. The it
1: strongest ca- egg in the world. It can
0: support the weight. Of a 240 pound person can sit on it.
1: <laughs> How did they test this?
0: Well, I don't know, but it can stand. I'm just using that as an example.
1: Okay, sure. Okay, so. It's not an ostrich, is it? I always think of ostrich eggs being big.
0: They are, and it is. Oh, really? Yes. You okay. Nailed it, babe. It is the biggest egg in the world, and the egg can weigh up to as much as, uh, it's well, it's an average of three pounds. It's 20 times the weight of a chicken egg. Wow. The ostrich itself can grow up to nine feet tall. Wow. And can weigh up to 320 pounds. Oh, my God. Well,
1: don't you don't want to eat one of those in a dark I alley. Know. We,
0: we got an ostrich puppet, and it looks, you know, so cute. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's a puppet, Marsh. Okay.
0: But I didn't know they could be 320 pounds. That
1: so. is a big bird. And
0: that's a big egg.
1: A big bird and a big egg. Yeah. Well, this was a big secret. What dark secret did the American patriot Patrick Henry hide beneath the floor of his colonial house?
0: Well, that... uh...
1: Now, Patrick Henry was known for give me liberty or give me death. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But what secret did he hide beneath the floor of his house?
0: Playboy magazines? No. Uh, No. It's a
1: sad story. Oh, is it? His wife, she was mad.
0: Oh, Mike, he hid his wife under the...
1: That's, oh my Lord. that's the story. At least that's what some people Come say. Come on. Rather than that. have his wife committed to an institution, he kept his wife in a straitjacket in the cellar under his home.
0: Oh, for God's sakes. Take me to a home Well, than that. accounts
1: say he was good to her. He went down daily to feed her and care for her. Oh, good. His friends didn't know of his plight. <laughs> and When they heard scratching sounds <gasps> beneath the floor, they would joke about ghosts.
0: Oh, my gosh. This is Patrick Henry?
1: Patrick Henry. This is supposedly How did she, true. you
0: know, do things? Don't know. Go to the bathroom. Don't whatever. know, Marsh. Oh, Don't know about Lord. that. Oh, kept her in a straitjacket. Yeah. So the asylums then must have been. Pretty bad. <laughs> if that was a good time, yeah. a good alternative. Honey, I'll
1: just keep you here.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you got in mind down there? <laughs> you know, oh, my God. Where did you get that?
1: Uh, that was from the rest of the story. It was uh, one really? of those Paul Harvey stories I found. Yeah.
0: Do, do Paul Harvey.
1: Paul Harvey. Good day. <laughs> the
0: rest. What? Of secret. The... Secret. Uh, yeah. Right. Boy, that's a, that's a good one, Bob.
1: Yeah. All I right. Thought, that's really dark, isn't it? Uh huh. Yeah.
0: Okay. Here's a quickie. According to information from the National Safety Council, mm-hmm. what's the most choked-on object by Americans?
1: The most choked on object by America. So I, some kind of food, I would say.
0: Am mm-hmm. I right about
1: that? Not particularly. No, not. Okay. Maybe,
0: maybe not.
1: Baseball? I don't uh, know why. Baseball. I, I don't know. <laughs> yes. I was thinking of an apple, and I thought, well, what's about the size of an apple? <laughs> uh, I don't know. What is Marsh?
0: A toothpick.
1: A toothpick. Yeah, people so, get
0: carried away with rolling it around their mouth, and I imagine. And then, uh, I don't know. That's uh, But that'd be awful to go down oh
1: my goodness can you imagine on its way down it tosses and spins no 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 so that would be so that's the thing that americans choke choke on more than anything else is a toothpick
0: yeah
1: wow Mm -hmm. i didn't know about that
0: i did not either that's why we're here to
1: to learn uh, to to learn other things to
0: teach the throngs (laughs) safety measures
1: to teach our friends (laughs) okay i've got another history question How did laughter save Napoleon's army in Egypt? (laughs) Say again. How did laughter save Napoleon's army in Egypt? This goes back to 1798. I guess that's a little before me. That's a little before your time.
0: But let's see, uh, laughter. uh, Okay, some Egyptians made a joke and they heard him laugh and then they knew where they
1: were. Oh, Napoleon's army heard their enemy because they were laughing. No, it's kind of just the opposite. This is a very odd little story. Uh, Back in 1798, you might remember that Napoleon was trying to extend his empire. He was trying to extend it into India, actually. He landed troops in Egypt in the first stop on his eastern campaign, and he brought with him, uh, to his credit, soldiers, scientists, and equipment on mules to study the ancient countries he went through. That's how we have things like the uh, the, yeah. Rosetta Stone, the Rosetta Stone for instance that was discovered when he was in Egypt so there were some good things happened there but in Egypt troops under the command of general Friant were attacked by howling hordes of arabs on horseback totally. and there was confusion until the general shouted form a square put the donkeys and the scientists in the middle <laughs> Well, that's exactly what the French troops did in the middle of this battle. They just started laughing because it seemed so just ridiculous. Put the donkeys and the scientists in the middle. (laughs) So that strange command amused the soldiers. They began to shout with laughter, and that amazed the Arabs. They had never heard men laugh during battle, so they paused in their attack, and that pause led the French to take advantage of the moment. They rallied their troops and eventually beat the Arabs back. That's how laughter helped save Napoleon's army in Egypt. Well, (laughs) who would have guessed? But the donkeys and the scientists in the middle of the square. Oh, dear. All
0: right. Okay. Okay, Bob. What was the original purpose of a coffin?
1: The original purpose of a coffin? It wasn't just to keep the body in there? You'd think. Wow. Well, let's go back to, I'm just thinking of ancient times. Maybe... The purpose of the coffin was to bring together all of the belongings that that person would take to heaven with them or take to the afterlife. And that's the reason they needed a package for the body, was to put all these other things inside.
0: That's rather Egyptian, isn't it? Yes, yes. it is. My first guest, and it wasn't right, was to protect the remains from animals or grave robbers. Mm-hmm. But it was employed to keep the deceased from coming back to haunt the survivors. Oh. <laughs> Get we don't want them to come back. Get that's in there. Right. Get in the box and stay in the box.
1: Put the nail in the coffin. Yeah, you know, we got to secure it to Think keep they'll... it. That's oh, right. Wow, that's... that's interesting. So it was to protect the living. Yeah. The purpose of a coffin was to protect the living, uh-huh. not to preserve the dead. Uh-huh. Oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> that is fascinating.
0: <laughs> I'm here to help, them.
1: Okay, I've got a business question. Okay. Okay. What company was the first American firm to offer trade-in allowances when customers bought new models of their product? what company was the first American firm to offer trade-in allowances if you bought a new model Car no it wasn't a car company
0: a new mo- wash machine no TV? but it
1: was a a, a home appliance
0: oh, okay wash machine dryer, now this
1: uh, was this was a, a thing that was expensive to make it was very intricate and it was too expensive for most people to buy at the time. I have no idea. And then they offered trade-in allowances. It was the Singer sewing machine. Oh, cool. In 1856. Now, they had been making sewing machines and selling them, and then that year, they offered a $50 rebate or an allowance on an old sewing machine turned in for a new machine, and that was a lot of money, $50. So the trade-in allowances were later followed by the first installment buying plan. That allowed people to pay for their uh, They're sewing machines on a rental basis. You'd uh, apply $5 a month rental fees to the sewing machine, and then that would go to the purchase price. But Singer, Singer did this, and by doing this, in 1856, their sales increased by 200% within one year. But that's the beginning of installment purchases and the beginning of rebates or trade-in allowances.
0: You would have thought Sears started that or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's cool. You know who Zillow is, Bob? Zillow. It's where you go to check on houses. It's a a, a real estate uh, site and so forth. But a report by Zillow looked at 135,000 photos from old houses across the country to see how paint colors impact sales.
1: I did see this story, I think. Really? Maybe not.
0: Well, they found that homes with what color doors sold the most? Actually, they sold for more than $6,000 than expected. What color door?
1: Houses with red doors.
0: That's what I would have said, not this. Oh. Charcoal, smoky, or jet black doors sell for $6,000 more. Really? Isn't that interesting? I would have yeah. said red, too.
1: Yeah, something a little more bright and Yeah. Showing, you know. say,
0: come on in. But a black door, it sort of So scenario. black doors
1: are more valued.
0: Uh, yeah, or perceived as such. Huh. Uh, in their study, Zillow also found that tuxedo kitchens... Uh, that's where the upper and lower cabinets are two different colors, increased mm-hmm. uh, the sale of your asking price.
1: Well, and the kitchen is always the room a, that a uh, sells one. the house, isn't yeah,
0: it? Yeah, So anyway, those are two things uh, I would have not guessed.
1: Okay, I've got one, okay? Okay. Okay, now this COVID-19 coronavirus emergency has sent numerous famous brands into bankruptcy. We've talked about Hertz and... Uh, Neiman Marcus and J Crew and J C Penney and Brooks Brothers but one famous 150-year-old brand has gone gangbusters since the virus hit what is it what brand that's 150 years old a company has gone gangbusters it's not gone into bankruptcy it's selling more of its product than ever before what well, company certainly is it
0: paper companies no i'm thinking of uh toiletries and oh, those, and toilet trees oh those
1: yes no huh
0: Uh, What company? uh,
1: Here's a hint, okay? Okay. It's gone great guns since people began cooking more for themselves. Oh,
0: yeah, just food in general has gone way up. What brand, though? What brand? What
1: 150-year-old brand is going gangbusters?
0: Cereal? Something like Kellogg's? No, I don't know.
1: Campbell's Soup.
0: Oh, of course, of course, of course.
1: It's funny because, you know, they spent years trying to reinvent themselves uh, by coming up with all kinds of different products. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, But the new CEO, Mark Klaus, he'd had a year under his belt when that virus hit, Uh, but that was a year's worth of work that began paying off because he started focusing the company on improving the quality of the soups, making them taste better. Uh, He added of the moment ingredient variety, such as bone broth, and he he, uh, launched some sippable well-yes soups, soups in a cup that customers just microwave and drink from. All that's flying off the... Shelves, in addition to the regular cans. So as a result, retail sales for the company in the first quarter of this year rose 33%. Sales of the soup itself went up 42%, and their uh, non-soup products went big too, like uh, Prego, uh, that jumped 49%. Pepperidge Farm Cookies up 28%. So that's a... A 150-year-old brand that's doing great during the coronavirus.
0: Well, and as the year moves on to fall and winter, that number is going to go up higher, too, because soup sales generally are down in the summer. So that's pretty phenomenal. It is,
1: isn't it? It's amazing. Yes.
0: Is it my turn? Yeah. Oh, OK. Queen Victoria, Bob, back in the uh, 1800s, was so impressed with this guy's invention that she made him a knight. His name was Tom. Tom. Tom Crapper.
1: <laughs> oh, I thought it was Tom Edison. <laughs> okay, I know who Tom Crapper was. <laughs> so I didn't know he became Sir. That's what, Sir yeah. Thomas Crapper, yeah. the inventor of the modern toilet.
0: That is correct. Oh my goodness! So she gave him a, a, a knighthood. A knighthood for that? She really liked that invention. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> well, every time you go into that toilet, you'll think of Sir Thomas Scrapper. Yes, because yes. he and he probably touched your life more than many <laughs> other people. And let's take a break. We'll be back. You're listening to Trivia on the off ramp with Bob and Marshaw Smith. Okay, we're back, Bob and? Marcia. Smith and the off-ramp. Okay, I've got a question for you. Now, this is a, uh, I've got some famous expressions, and I want you to tell me where they came from. I'm going to tell you just one right now. Okay. Wild goose chase. Who popularized that? Wild goose chase. It goes back hundreds me, of give years. Give me a hint here. What are we talking Hundreds about? of years, famous play.
0: Famous play. Okay. Yeah. Okay, all right. That, you have to narrow it down. And
1: it's a famous romantic play.
0: Is it uh, Romeo and Juliet? That's
1: exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, In Romeo and Juliet, Act 2, Scene 4, Shakespeare says, Nay, if our wits run the wild goose chase, I am done, for thou hast more of the wild goose in one of thy wits than I am sure I have in my whole five. Now, (laughs) that term did not refer to actual geese, but wild goose chase was a type of horse race at the time.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: Uh, From the 16th century, each of a line of riders had to follow accurately the course of a leader, just like a flight of wild geese follows its leader. So if you were in one of those races where the front horse was just zigzagging around, it was called a wild goose chase, but it was a horse race. Ah. So this uh, basically character is saying, you're just willy-nilly and I don't have the energy to follow you. It's a wild goose chase. But Shakespeare is the person who popularized that.
0: I had no idea. And I, I don't know how I guessed that one right, anyway. I don't know. Because
1: I gave you so many hints, Marsh. Well,
0: a play. <laughs> a play. For, from hundreds of years ago, and I narrowed romantic. it down.
1: I said romantic.
0: Well, that does narrow yes, it down. Yes, it does. All right. All right. Fine. I was patting myself on the back here. <laughs> okay, Bob. Mona Lisa.
1: Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa. You've,
0: we have seen the woman in.
1: In the Louvre Museum, right. In the Louvre. And Mm -hmm.
0: remember, we were both amazed at how tiny. It's a
1: small painting, yes. Small
0: painting. But did you, because I didn't, notice something in her right eye?
1: A cataract. (laughs) No. A monocle? Yeah. No, Uh, these are things I didn't see. I didn't see anything in her right eye. What is it?
0: Well, uh, nobody does because it's microscopic. But Leonardo da Vinci, being the brilliant man he was, he put his initials in there, LV.
1: no kidding. You
0: can't see it, but you can under a
1: A um, microscope.
0: Yes. And there's also something in her other eye, in her left eye. But they can't figure out what it is exactly or what it means. It's uh difficult to make it out. And it appears to be a C E uh, or it could be the letter B, but you know, that's just guessing. But Leonardo was so clever. He was always putting code in things and you know,
1: yeah, because puzzles. the Da Vinci code is refers to something he put in one yeah, of his he's paintings. Yeah, He's a
0: brilliant he? fellow.
1: Interesting. Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's a kind of an interesting question. I saw this recently in a uh, Wall Street Journal article. Who is the world's top executive coach?
0: Executive coach?
1: You know, there are people who deal with executives. They train them how to deal with the media and everything else. But there's one person who stands above all in being the top executive coach. Is
0: it somebody like Tony Robbins? No. No. Somebody like... Uh... This
1: person is an executive coach to Give the very top hand. leaders in Why their country. Why would I know this person? You're interested in royalty, and you mentioned royalty earlier. Oh, okay. And this is her great-granddaughter, I believe. Oh, really? Queen Elizabeth II she's a she coach? is an executive coach because since 1952 she's held weekly meetings with 24 different prime ministers it's a totally confidential thing nothing ever leaks out
0: oh i'm sure
1: so there's a confidential ear historical context she could tell the current prime minister what she said to winston churchill uh-huh. she's been doing this for 70 years so at 93 she's considered the world's most experienced <laughs> executive mentor yeah isn't that interesting yeah that's and amazing. Uh, apparently Uh, John Major said in 2016, she is above and beyond politics, and to this day, she receives a daily red box of official government documents and classified briefings so she can be helpful and share breadth of historical context with her ministers. How old was she when she began briefing the prime ministers? And that was Uh, Winston Churchill. Yeah. How old was she?
0: She was very young. Was she even 21 yet? She was 26. Okay. That
1: was in 1952. The meetings have all been strictly confidential. Everyone can speak openly with all secrets guarded, and no one but two participants are in the room. So mm-hmm. nobody but the two people know exactly what's been shared. So, yeah, if you want a no executive mentor, yeah. you know, Queen Elizabeth is the person. I'll Let's keep, get an appointment.
0: I'll, I'll keep that in <laughs> mind. She might have hidden microphones, but you well, don't know. Well,
1: but you never know. It never leaks. Nothing ever leaks.
0: Well, here's a surprising factoid. Which state has the highest automotive deaths and which state has the lowest?
1: I would think the state that has the highest would be something like California or Florida, where there are probably more people living than Uh any other state. Uh And the one with the lowest, I would think, would be low-density population, I think, like Utah or something like that.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought, too. But no, the highest, the number one state for automotive deaths is Mississippi. Really? And the lowest... New York. Oh my goodness! Yeah. You
1: just think almost the opposite That's of those exactly two.
0: That's exactly why I picked it. That's the data from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, and a lot of it—it's just five times higher in Mississippi than New York. One of the big factors in that change is uh, in that in that difference is that rural roads.
1: Rural roads.
0: Rural roads.
1: (laughs) can't say it. (laughs) Country roads.
0: (laughs) Country roads are a factor because you go faster and you're not paying as much attention. And so there's a lot more country roads in Mississippi. In Mississippi, 22.3 people die per 100,000 people. Wow. And in New York, it's uh, 4.8 per 100,000 people. So it's five times higher in Mississippi than New York. There you go. All right. A surprise twist.
1: Okay, you talked about states there. I have a question for you. What two Midwestern states look very different in length and size, but have almost the same area? You have lived in one of these states. <laughs> I've lived in both of them.
0: Well, one would be Illinois, Yeah, you Illinois. Lived. Uh-huh. You huh. You and there, lived, well, would Well, be Michigan?
1: No. Michigan? Uh, Iowa Iowa. Iowa Now, huh. think about that, because... Iowa looks squat. It appears to lay on its side. Illinois looks long and vertical, but they're actually very close in size. Ah. Illinois has 57,915 square miles. Iowa has 56,272 square miles. But what a difference in population. Uh, Iowa only has 3 million people. Illinois has 4 times that, more than 12 million They look very different, but they're not. If you laid them both on their side and made them both vertical, they wouldn't look as different as they do on the map normally. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: Yes. Well, so is this, Bob. Okay. In the late 1800s in Paris, a publisher, Aurelien Schall, deserves a place in history for inventing and first publishing a newspaper made from what?
1: A newspaper made from what? Yeah. Well, paper... No, okay, a newspaper made from I don't know what
0: well, he enjoyed reading while bathing. Oh
1: <laughs> so he printed it on rubber. Yes <laughs> The first newspaper printed on rubber
0: in France. so he could read in the tub. What year? Uh, late 1800s
1: And if we know everybody prints on rubber now these days everybody prints their papers didn't on rubber. exactly catch on. Oh dear, that's funny. I've got another famous last word. I want you to guess who it might be. okay, okay? I like those. Okay, I shall hear in heaven was this person's last words. You know this person because of oh, that. Oh, Beethoven. Beethoven, that's right. He was uh, deaf yeah. from the time he was 31. And uh, when he lay dying of pneumonia in 1827 at the age of 57, he was said to yeah. have raged at God during a violent thunderstorm. I shall hear in heaven. Other uh, people said his last words were, Friends, applaud, the comedy is over. <laughs> But I I can like the here in heaven. Okay, i got another one, and then I've got you what his friend told him when he said it, okay? Okay. John D. Rockefeller Sr. and Henry Ford were friends. And John D. Rockefeller's last words to Henry Ford were, Goodbye, I'll see you in heaven. What were Henry Ford's last words to him? Don't count on it? Sort of like that. (laughs) So John D. Rockefeller, Goodbye, I'll see you in heaven. You will if you get in, oh. Henry Ford said. Oh, so
0: he gave it back to him, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny because uh, people wondered, would heaven really overlook? You know, he was an old robber baron. He was pretty greedy and cold-hearted as a businessman. He used to steamroll this competition. So even though he became a philanthropist later, he had a bad reputation, even among his fellow moguls.
0: Oh, oh wow, you got to be really bad <laughs> yeah. if your fellow moguls Says, think they're yeah, bad. If
1: you get in heaven, I'll see you there, but not that, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I've got some a couple civil war facts I think you'll find interesting. Okay. All right. We often hear that the uh, during the civil war the north was much more industrialized than the south. But was it? No. No, it wasn't.
0: I'm saying no, and because of maybe the cotton gin, they had the uh, Oh, because cotton.
1: the South had the cotton gin.
0: Yeah, and so they industrialized that, am But I? that
1: really was more of a separator of cotton. Well, I could see that. That's a good point, yeah. Oh,
0: thank well, you, Bob. Actually. <laughs> it's wrong, but it's a good point. Well,
1: by one measure, it's wrong, because actually in 1860, the entire United States, not just the South, was overwhelmingly agricultural. 72% of the nation's congressmen represented farm districts yeah. as the nation went into the Civil War. Was oh, it
0: the thrasher they had down there?
1: <laughs> no? Well, they got thrashed down south. Oh. So, so actually, the Civil War pitted two agricultural societies against the other. And the difference, of course, was one was based on plantation slave labor, and the other was based on family farms, small-scale family farms. But the north did have a bit more manufacturing than the south. Okay, one more question, okay? Okay. What percentage of the U.S. population was high school educated in the Civil War? High school educated uh, in the North Civil War. And South? Yes.
0: Golly. I'll say 13%.
1: No, less than half of that. Really? Only 6% of the U.S. population had attended high school, yes. not graduated from, but had attended it at the time of the Civil War.
0: That's how they got so many people to go towards Civil War.
1: Because <laughs> they, they couldn't read. It's interesting you say that because I have my records of some of my Smith from that generation, two of the brothers, three of the brothers, who went to the Civil War, and uh, they all have X's where they had to sign. They Big didn't sign their name. Not even their they name. They signed X's. Wow. But by the end of that that century, by the my end of the 19th century.
0: did it in calligraphy.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, sure, I'm sure. You don't even know who served in the Civil War from your family. Seriously,
0: Marsh. Seriously, though.
1: So 30 years later, by the end of the century, More than half the population had gone to to high school, and that, coupled with new technologies like electricity, the telephone, the typewriter, line of type machines, that led to a new form of journalism called the magazine. Oh, yeah. Magazines were just getting started at the time of the Civil War. Now people could
0: read them. All right. The sea cucumber, the much-beloved sea...
1: The sea cucumber? <laughs> oh, yes. I've never heard of a oh, sea cucumber. How,
0: really? Yeah. Oh, well, it's a clever little animal that's a bottom feeder in the ocean. Okay. So, no, it's, <laughs> it's really not a, a well-known animal. But it has a, a clever way of uh, keeping its enemies away. You want to think about what that might be?
1: It pretends it's not a cucumber. <laughs> Wow, the sea cucumber pretends it's a pickle, uh, and that scares the hell out of all the other fish. I don't know, more. No. no, the
0: darling little thing, it explodes its internal organs, what? Which, what? which clouds the water, and it can get away.
1: It explodes them, but it's, yeah. it keeps itself alive? Yeah,
0: and then it, go, and it uh, regenerates new internal organs if it's lucky enough to get away. And uh, he can... Uh, wow. Well, this guy, yeah, he's really... That's like
1: an animal with a superpower. Well,
0: yeah. And, and if he's starving, he's got a real clever way of not starving.
1: How's that?
0: <laughs> it eats himself.
1: Oh, dear. <laughs>
0: I'm not making this up.
1: Okay. All right. <laughs> well, so, those are well, very interesting. It,
0: uh, it keeps eating itself, and it gets smaller and smaller. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it has no face.
1: It's a cucumber, Mark. How could a sea cucumber have a face?
0: It doesn't, but it has holes.
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs>
0: Which uh its little its little hands shucks.
1: <laughs> well, as I figured after twenty weeks something like this would happen. Marsha has lost all control. So I think that's it for now. We should probably go. Thanks for joining us here on the off ramp. Because I think that's where Marsha went. <laughs> You're on the off-ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. <laughs> it just has holes. Okay, take it easy. See, Would you like soap. some water or something? Okay, I got some. Okay, so, uh, all right. Uh, good.
0: I had to save that one for last. I knew I wouldn't get through it. Oh. <laughs>
1: the Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.